What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Bleeding BNG. This is episode five. I'm so excited. I know we missed last week's episode. Sorry, guys, we had some technical difficulties, but we have a lot of information to cover to wrap up February. So, like I was saying, guys, this is episode five. Um, it is today is February 25th. So we're gonna put a bow on the, all the news and notes that we received in February since our last episode, where we dealt with our mock off season episode, and then um, to tell you guys what we'll be doing in March. So in March, as we lead up to the draft throughout March and April, we're gonna have a lot of draft coverage and a lot of free agency coverage. So in the next coming months, between, like I said, March and April, we're going to be having draft profiles on the podcast. We're going to be doing, you know, positional breakdowns, our top five um, draft prospects at each position. And I'm thinking about doing it in the line of, you know, the biggest or the highest need or the um, highest position of need for the Washington football team. So rather than just go the basic, you know, starting with the linemen, the going outside to the receivers, to the quarterbacks, to the running backs, I think I'm going to do it in order of you know the highest potential you know preference of prospects for the position that the Washington football team is needs so for example the defensive line will probably be last because we already have about four or five studs on the line looking back at the roster you know we may look at the quarterbacks first or maybe a receiver because those are the positions that are we're severely lacking at as of this moment so like I said that's what we'll be doing in March and April so please look forward to all those coming episodes but today in episode five we're just going to wrap up what we've learned in February and all the information regarding the Washington football team in February. So I do want to start, like I said, it's February 25th and this past week or during this week, Alex Smith had an interview with GQ where he had a lot of scathing remarks about his situation or his dilemma with the Washington football team last year. He said that he threw a wrench in the team's plans when he decided to return. He said that the team didn't want me and along with a, a, a plethora of scathing remarks um, that he mentioned to G, uh, GQ throughout the interview and it kind of threw me off by surprise um, because we you know um, since you know Alex tenure when he came in 2018 all we've known is Alex to be a stand-up guy so these comments you know really threw a monkey wrench in it what, what my perception of him as a person you know I've always thought of Alex as you know this high character guy like I said with this warrior mentality fighting back from his injury or fighting back from what he sustained in 2018 but these comments just, they seem like they came out of nut field because if we look back and, you know, we put context to Alex's comments, you know, we we initially going into the training camp thought, you know, that Dwayne Haskins was the future of the team, you know, um, and he was going to be competing with Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen was bought in at the beginning of last free agency. So I don't necessarily think that Alex's comments hold a lot of weight. Because if we look back contextually, you know, a lot of the things he's scared just doesn't add up. Of course, you know, a franchise isn't going to be holding out hope for somebody that suffered an injury as gruesome as Alex Smith. Now, he did come back and, you know, prove the, prove everybody, prove all the doubters wrong, even myself, by going 5-1. and one. But ultimately, he did sustain another injury that, that caused another setback and forced him to not, you know, be able to play in the... Um, in the playoff game, in the Super Wild Card Weekend game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, like I said, Alex 
I don't know if he, you know, I don't know what's out of the bed he woke up in the morning of this interview, but a lot of these scathing remarks are just throwing me off. And I pretty, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that Alex won't be returning like next year. You know, in my previous episodes, I said that I don't want him back. And while I was saying that, and while I did believe that he wasn't going to come back, my biggest thing was I didn't want him to come back at that $24 million price tag that he currently holds. Now, if he was bought back as maybe, you know, uh, you know, a bridge QB, a, a, a option you know a third option QB you know somebody that's brought being brought back in in emergency situations kind of like when Taylor Heineke was the quarantine quarterback last year I could see a scenario prior to this interview where that could happen that could work out for um, Alex because I think Brian Mitchell said it best um, after he heard this um, the comments from the interview but he said the Washington football team, that franchise was doing Alex a favor. He said he knows that about 50% of the league would have cut Alex Smith right then and there. And I agree with him. So for Alex to, you know, just go off all the rails. And like I said, you know, um, this text was in print. So we don't know the tone that Alex said these comments in. You know, the demeanor that was present when he um, said these comments. But the text does not look good. Like I said, you know, Alex said, he basically said the team didn't want him. And if we look back at some of the comments that Ron said um, during, you know, training camp and leading up to the quarterback battle between Haskins and Allen. And when, you know, reporters were asked, you know, is Alex's name in the debate? You know, is Alex up for the race? You know, Ron would say, you know, Alex would just have to show that he, he could, you know, keep himself healthy, keep himself out of harm's way. So I never really thought that that Ron's, you know, comments leading up to Alex actually coming in showed somebody that you know was discouraging Alex of returning so I'm not sure what's really going on back um, there with Alex Smith but I, I'm pretty sure you know everybody in the Washington football team community is pretty safe to say that you know we're leaning towards Alex Smith not returning as a part of this franchise um, in 2021 like I said you know it was a small chance that he returned not at that 24 million dollar price tag but with these remarks I think you know the franchise is just ready to be done with him in all so in other quarterback news moving on from the past let's look forward to the future so I told you guys I think that it was in episode three that you know Sam Darnold was rumored to be on the market and that you know a lot of teams were looking at draft packages or trade packages for Sam Darnold that regarded a first round pick and in, in the in the concurrent weeks since that last episode you know the trade packages value has seemed to gone down now they're saying that Sam Donald can be had for a second a high second round pick and you know other late round picks and this is exactly what I proposed to you guys in that episode when I was talking about Sam Donald like I said in that episode Sam Donald came in as you know a high status you know first round draft pick and he has done nothing to you know uphold that status all he has done is dwindle that light so like I said while I do like some of the that Sam Donald does bring. I do, I do think he has a pretty strong arm. Um, and I think, you know, that he can be, you know, a reclamation project and somebody that can be groomed over time because he's still young, entering his fourth season in the league. But, you know, he, he's not somebody that I'm going to be giving up the farm for, especially not in a package similar to, you know, when we're hearing that Deshaun Watson's on the rumor mill. Now we're hearing that Russell Wilson's on the rumor mill. Um, so, yeah, Sam Donald is nowhere along the lines of that. So I won't be giving him, you know, a first round package especially not 19 because there's a lot of value that you can get in 19 especially in this draft so like I said and, and I hate to be that guy to be like I told you so I told you so but I never saw a package or I never saw that a feasible package would be brought up where we'll be trading or we'll have to trade 
let alone one first-round draft pick for Sam Donald, but multiple uh, first-round draft picks for Sam Donald because he just hasn't shown to be that guy. Like I said, he does have some traits there, but he was supposed to be, you know, the elite guy coming out of USC. A lot of that pre-draft process, Sam Donald was the number one quarterback until, you know, the Browns came and surprised a lot of people by selecting Baker Mayfield first. Um, I think that news came out within the couple of days leading up to the draft. But, you know, they had Sam Donald ranked above Lamar Jackson in that draft. Josh Allen in that draft along with Baker Mayfield so he was looking out to be a stud you know a lot of people were expecting him to go to New York and to turn that franchise around you know solely despite everybody knowing how bad that franchise was and he just shown he says shown so far that he's just not that generational guy you know that quarterback that you know you can line up around a bunch of nothing and he's just going to turn you know a bunch of nothing into filet mignon you know you know but that's saying you know they turn spaghettios and <laughs> And to filet mignon he's not that guy he's not a Peyton Manning type guy he's not a guy that that they probably thought that they were drafting when they drafted him high in the first round in 2018 so with that being said I can only see his value in the league or his status in the league only diminishing it's only diminishing so like I said he started out as a high value draft pick but he hasn't even spent the season where he cracked the 3,000 yard mark so I would be crazy to mortgage my future or to leverage my future for Sam Darnold by giving up the farm especially a first round pick in this draft when I said like I believe that we're this close to competing for a championship that's not something that good organizations do and like I told you guys in episode two I believe that the Washington football team is aligning themselves to be you know a good organization that's going to be here for the long haul so that's you know if that's if that's you know having short-sighted moves to you know prevent bad long-term contracts or trading for bad long-term players that's not what that's you know the the theory and the philosophy that I got from, you know, the Mayhew and um, Herney presser was that's not what they're in the business of. You know, they're in the business of doing good foundational solid groundwork and bringing in the right players on the right deals to, you know, extend this window. Because like I said, I think this window is pretty short, especially, you know, when you have to pay the people on the D-line as much as you do, hopefully, or, you know, hopefully, you know, they all get their bread or hopefully, you know, they're all on a Washington football team where we're able to extend all of them. But, you know, that window isn't as long especially with these three four five year contracts that get shelved out in the nfl now so that's it about sam darnold um so like i said the the trade package for sam darnold has seemed to dwindle down the value for sam darnold has seemed to die out a little bit so like i said the news coming out is that he can be had for a high second and a couple late round draft picks and i would definitely do that for sam darnold like i said i i, 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 I he's not a guy that i would trade the farm for but i do like some of his traits i do think he has a live arm i do think that you know he showed against the denver broncos that he has some speed some athleticism to make off platform throws i like sam darnold i just think th don't think he's the guy that you trade the house for that you mortgage your future for like i said before so i'll be all in the market of you know trading those trade packages that's coming out now with the second round pick and maybe you know a fifth or sixth in the future or a fifth or sixth in 2020 because we do we do need a quarterback like i told you guys at the at the beginning of this podcast series in episode one while i love taylor heineke while i love kyle allen i don't think that they're 
that guy to put you over the top. And if we're going to be trading for a guy or if we're going to be leveraging our future for a guy, that guy needs to be that generational talent that puts you over the top, that has you going from the Super Wild Card Weekend where everybody in the Washington football team is like, oh, man, we gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the best fight in the playoffs to actually competing for the Super Bowl, to actually having some tangible things to latch on to, not just, oh, man, we just, you know, we, we put up the best fight against the Super Bowl champion. I'm not in the business of moral wins. I'm not, especially, you know, in the business of the NFL where money is on the line, people's livelihood is on the line. Moral wins is not something that's invited over here. So, like I said, if we are going to mortgage the future or leverage the future, well, I'm not, which I'm not opposed to doing, it needs to be for a needle mover. It needs to be for a Deshaun Watson who's a proven commodity. It needs to be for a Russell Wilson whose name is being brought up around, you know, the rumor mill nowadays. Or, you know, if it's an unproven commodity in the draft, I think that Trey Lance has, dis has displayed some generational qualities and traits that can make him that guy to be a needle mover. I don't know if you're going to be able to draft, you know, um, Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, but I think that Justin Fields has exuded some of the traits that, you know, he can potentially be a needle mover if you, you know, leverage the right amount of picks and don't give up way too much draft capital where, you know, you're mortgaging your future and shrinking that window that I talked about. So, like I said, I'm, I'm all in the favor of trading for our quarterback because I don't think that our needle mover at the quarterback position is on the roster right now. With that being said, like I said, this is February 25th. So in the latest episode of I Am Athlete, that is Brandon Marshall's podcast, was featuring the likes of Fred Taylor, Chad Ochocinco, and Cam Newton. They actually had Cam, uh, I say Cam Newton and Channing Crowder, but they actually had Cam Newton on the episode this week where they was asking Cam about his future, his playing future, and what he plans on doing next year. Um, and they actually brought up the situation in Washington. You know, Cam didn't downplay it. You know, he didn't say, no, I'm not going there. He said, basically, it's in God's hand. And while, you know, Chad Ocho Cinco and Brandon Marshall were hyping up Terry McCorn. If you guys don't know, Chad Johnson might be Terry McCorn's best fan, biggest fan. Go look at our post that we did on Monday. Um, of the clips on Tuesday of the clips where Chad Johnson was just talking glowingly about um, Terry McLaurin in the I Am Athlete podcast and then he did a podcast that released just a couple weeks ago with Busting at the Boys with former Washington football team linebacker Will Compton and Taylor Luan where he was raving about um, Terry McLaurin as well. He said that boy's special. He said that boy, he told Cam that boy's the dog that you need on your offense. So you know Cam started, Cam started liking what Chad was, you know, spilling to him, what Chad was preaching to him. Um, so with that being said, you know, like I said, Cam didn't downplay, you know, maybe, you know, potentially reuniting with Ron Rivera. You know, he even gave him the Riverboat shout out during the podcast. But um, in today's episode of or today's show of, you know, the JP, um, the B. Mitch and JP Finley's new um, radio show on 106.7 The Fan, he said that Washington didn't go after Cam Newton in 2024 for a reason and don't expect that in 2021. And while, um, like I told you guys at the beginning of the, um, I think in the, in episode three, when I was comparing the, con um, when I was comparing the quarterbacks that were on the market that may potentially be um, Washington football team players in 2021, I did say that Cam Newton looked like a shell of himself but currently I don't think that there's a quarterback on the roster right now that look that that's better than Cam Newton yeah we had a one game sample and a couple quarters of Taylor Heineke but I, I won't I won't put that to the MVP, MVP career that Cam Newton has had up until this point even in the episode on I am athlete that I previously mentioned 
Cam talked about how he came out guns a blazing. He came out guns a blazing. But once he returned from COVID, he said that he was foggy minded and he doesn't want to really attribute it all to COVID. But he said that the Patriots basically wait for anybody. So he missed nearly two weeks of practice and they implementing new systems, new plays, new motions. And he was just lost. And, and it looked like that when he returned. Cam looked, like I said, he threw for over 400 yards in week two. He didn't even look like he had his legs under him in week one, but he beat a good Miami Dolphins team. So Cam Newton, like I said, I did think he was a shell of himself, but listening to him explain a lot of his play. And like I said, it's not always about what the players what the players say because the players are always going to have their best interests at heart. They're always going to think that they did the best that they could. But the things that Cam explained, it looked like it on the field. It looked like he wasn't locked in with his receivers, let alone having receivers that didn't give him any separation. And Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry, I know that we don't have the best receivers here, but at least Terry McLaurin is 10 times better than both of those guys. Terry McLaurin is going to be a guy that at least gives you separation right off the line of scrimmage. <clears throat> so, like I said, while I was opposed to Cam potentially joining us before, after hearing his explanation, hearing how determined he sounded in that interview with I, I Am Athlete with Brandon Marshall and Chad Ochocinco, I'm, I'm kind of warming up to it. Because, like I said, I don't believe that there's a quarterback on the roster right now that's better than Cam Newton. There's not. Kyle Allen who? No. No. There's a reason why even when Cam was hurt and Kyle Allen went, what? What he went? 4-0, four, 5-0 four oh, oh in his first couple of games with Carolina? They were talking about if Cam came back, that's that's Cam's job. Kyle Allen not getting that job because everybody knows. And that was just in 2019. That was just two years ago. That was just two years ago. Now, granted, Cam never came back and he hasn't looked like himself since. But I still think that he's better than Kyle Allen at this point. I do still think he's better than Taylor Heineke at this point. What we do have to remember, guys, is that Taylor Heineke didn't even start for the XFL team at this time last year that he was on. He didn't even start for the XFL team that he was on at this point last year. And like I told you guys, he showed a tremendous amount of heart. He's living the American dream right now with somebody, you know, that took that opportunity by, you know, that took that opportunity and grasped it. And, you know, he's, now he's making $4 million of the year, which is amazing backup quarterback money, which I think he is. Because we also have to remember, guys, the news that Taylor Heineke was starting against Tampa Bay didn't come out until one or two days before the um, the game. So we can't act like Todd Bowles and that special defense that shut out Drew Brees, that shut out Tom Brady, that, I mean, not Tom Brady, that shut out Drew Brees, that had Aaron Rodgers dancing in the pocket, that shut out Patrick Mahomes. We can't act like if Todd Bowles and that defense had a week to game plan that that game wouldn't have gone any differently. We will be a fools. We will be fools to think of that. We, we will be fools to think otherwise. Like I said, so like I said, we, we did amazing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but there were some of the factors that were leaning in our direction that caused us or that resulted in that performance. And while I'm not knocking it, we just have to be re realists at the end of the day. So moving past the quarterback news, um, closing that up, wrapping it up with Cam Newton. I do want to get to some off-season news, um, some NFL free agency news. So the franchise window, the franchise tag window, actually opened on Tuesday, uh, February 23rd, and I believe that there's really only two options on the market for the Washington Football Team to franchise. Um, the first one would be Brandon Sheriff, who actually received the franchise tag and played on the franchise tag last year. Um, if he received the um, franchise tag this year, this would be his second year on it. So he will receive 120% of the average of the top five guards um, contracts in the NFL. So that will result in about $18 million per year, which is a lot of money that you're paying a guard, even if the guard is as good as Brandon Scherf. And um, listening to Cooley on Kevin Sheehan's podcast, um, 
earlier this week. He said while um, while you know Brandon Scherf did earn that accolade of first team All Pro, he didn't really see an elite player this year, especially for somebody um, who's missed 16 games over the last three seasons. So essentially, he's missed a third of his playing time over the last three seasons. So is that somebody that you technically want to pay 18 million dollars for? So that's something that I want you guys to think about. Now, if he signed um, a top of the market deal, the top of the market deal, if he's looking to break a bank for a long-term deal, would be about maybe about 15 to 16 million. I think Brandon Brooks for the Eagles, who um, was hurt this past year, is the highest-paid guard right now, and he's making around 14 million per year. Um, so, like like I said, um, I would be, you know, I would love to bring Brandon Scherf back, but we got to remember, guys, Brandon Scherf was drafted as an old rookie. He was nearly 25 years old when he was brought in. So yes, he's ending, you know, his year after, you know, he played on his rookie deal and he played this last year on his franchise tag, but he's on the wrong side of 30 already. So we got to be smart with these moves because we have to keep our window open as long as possible, especially with this young defense. So we got people on this defense that's six years younger than Brandon Scherf and have only played about three or four less years than him because he came in at such a, you know, older age. Um, so like I said, he's one of the options that I would consider franchise tagging um and if we do do a franchise tag with brandon sheriff i will hopefully think that that would be a placeholder to just buy us some time to get a long-term deal done because i would hate for him to play on an 18 million dollar per year you know um 18 million dollar contract and he'll be essentially just playing that out for one year and then after that you know same thing with Kirk cousins you know once a player signs that second franchise tag they're typically gone after the next year because the money becomes too astronomical and then they're already having bitter feelings because the organization felt like they weren't deserving of a long-term deal so if brandon sheriff you know he's one of the you know um he's one of the few players that actually has a little bit of leverage when signing the franchise tag because do you want to sign a guard at this astronomical amount but what do we have behind him? You know, Shadiq Charles is an unproven commodity. I did like Wes Streisand when he came in, but he played primarily on the left side. And he's been primarily on the left side for the majority of his career. I know he played primarily on the left side when he was with the Atlanta Falcons before he joined us. So, you know, that's a lot of things that you have to consider when trying to franchise Brandon. You got to remember, this is a special case because he is going to be on his second year being franchised. And that 120%, He'll be making way more than any other guard in the NFL. And as a guard of impact, you know, like I said, Brandon Scherf is great. I love Brandon Scherf. I love what he brings to the team. I love what he brings to the football field every day. But as a guard, that impactful of a position that's going to move the needle. I'm all about needle movers, if you can't tell. That's one of my favorite terms. Is a guard going to move the needle and going to have you competing or moving from the Super Wild Card weekend of the playoffs and have you competing for the Super Bowl? I'm not sure, especially when he's not as elite as a lot of people think, you know, with somebody earning, you know, that first team all pro um, accolade. And then I want to go into the second person that I think is a can candidate for the franchise tag, and that's Ronald Darby. If you guys listened to the last year episode, episode four, you guys know how I feel about Ronald Darby. Ronald Darby played on a prove it year this year, prove it deal this year, and he proved it. He's a hometown kid. Like I said on the last episode, he told Grant and Danny when he was on 1067 the fan, he hope and prays that he comes back. Darby played on some of his best football of his career this season as a Washington football team player. Somebody's as top three and pass deflections in the NFL while I know it's not interceptions and I know he's not taking the ball away that shows that he's in, his, in the right position over and over again 
The only year that I think Darby played better than he did this season was maybe his first two years in Buffalo. But after that, there was a regression in Philly. I don't think he had a better season in Philly than in any of his years in Philly than he had this year. And I think that he's actually worth the money. So if we do have to franchise tag Ronald Darby, while I would prefer, preferably you know sign him to a three or four year long term deal around eleven or twelve million dollars per, per um, year, you know a franchise tag at fifteen million dollars for this one year wouldn't be too bad. And this will be his first year signing that so he'll receive the average amount of the top five cornerback contracts in the NFL which is around 15 million dollars per year so he wouldn't essentially be breaking the bank like Sheriff and he plays a much more impactful position at cornerback where he's guarding you know the league's best receivers play in and play out so Ronald Darby if it comes down to it I would hate to have to lose him I would want the franchise tag as a last resort like I said I'm in favor of signing him to a long-term deal because he's still fairly young if I'm not mistaken he's either 26 or 27 I think he's about 27 so a lot of his best football is still ahead of him unless he gets injured but he showed this year that he could put you know that he was coming back from that ACL and he was fully recovered finally this year and he played through injury I don't think he missed a game this past season so Ronald Darby and Brandon Scherf are two potential franchise tag candidates and if it comes down to it I would rather that go to Darby because I said like I said I think he's a more uh he plays a more impactful position while I don't think he's a better player than Brandon Scherf I think he plays a more impactful position on winning and his deal won't break the bank yes he'll essentially be you know paid top five cornerback money but at 15 million dollars per year you know that's that's what a lot of the you know the top five guys are making that's why that money is where it is because these guys are making an impact and a lot of these guys aren't even leaving the league aren't aren't nowhere near Ronald Darby as far as top of the league and pass deflections a lot of these guys is ranked in the top five top ten top seven of pay skills for a cornerback then they didn't have the season as well as Ronald Darby so even you know having them play on that franchise tag for one year maybe it's still it may be a still and you never hear that when you know dealing um or talking about um franchise tags so um just wrapping up um some of the news that we dealt with or that we've heard throughout february i wanted to go through um two wide receivers that were actually connected to us from two um well we're now you know well you know respected um nfl writers the first one was albert breer had a piece um, where he was talking about projections and the NFL free agency, and he projected that Curtis Samuel from the um, Carolina Panthers, who um, was drafted out of the Ohio State University, he had Car Curtis Samuel actually signing a deal with Washington. He talked about how um, Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin came into Ohio State in the same class as 2014, even though Curtis Samuels has a couple more years experience um, than Terry. He said, why not reunite those guys? Both of those guys bring you 4-3 speed, and you know, they, they seem to have the chemistry already there to you know, work in unison and work alongside each other pro to produce. And I, I actually love the idea. Um, Curtis Samuel isn't number one on my list. Like I told you guys at last, in the last episode with the mock offseason episode, while I am in favor of bringing in Allen Robinson, even if you have to break the bank, I am not I am not mad at, you know, settling for Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel is a playmaker. I saw even, um, I think, my boy Steve from um, Twitter. Shout out to Steve NFL. A lot, um, a lot of you guys in the Washington football team community know who I'm talking about. I, I saw that he had a stat that said that Curtis Samuel had more touchdowns than um, – than Allen Robinson or less touches over the three-year span. So if we look at Curtis Samuel and what he did in the 2020 season and that new offense under Joe Brady that, you know, that that college-style offense that Matt Rule and Joe Brady bought into um, the NFL 
um, from their time with Temple, Baylor, and LSU. Um, he Curtis Samuel had 851 receiving yards and 200 rushing yards, so he had a total of uh, 1,051 all-purpose yards. And he's a lightning in a bottle, like with the ball in his hands. He's very dynamic with the ball in his hands. He had a huge run against Washington. I think he even scored a touchdown against Washington in their last meeting. So that's somebody, you know. Everybody's trying to replicate Kansas City's offense, even though I'm not sure they want to do that after this Super Bowl, where it's speed, speed, speed all the time. So pairing somebody like, you know, Curtis Samuel, who runs, who runs a 4-3, you know, pairing, pairing him with Terry McLaurin, who runs 4-3, also pairing him with Antonio Gibson, who's a tank. Who's 230 pounds are running 4-3. That's where you get those mismatches all over the field. That's where you open up the field. So you don't even need a dynamic quarterback because everybody's running away from everybody. All you got to do is get a quarterback to just drop it in the bucket and put it there. That's what happens when you get those dynamic offenses. Like I said, I think that Patrick Mahomes might go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. But his job is really easy when Tyreek Hill is running by everybody because he's so much faster than everybody. When he gets a throw, when he throws a jet touch pass to Miko Harmon. And it's actually a run, but he gets accredited for a pass because he moved his hands forward. And Miko Harmon takes it 40 yards around the edge. Of course, the stats are going to look better. That's the completion behind the line of scrimmage that I gave 40 yards off of. That's what speed does to an offense. That's why Kansas City has seemed to make it so easy against everybody except Tampa Bay. But, I, like I said, I would love the move of Curtis, bringing Curtis Samuel um, to Washington. Like I said, he's 5'11", 195 pounds, so he can play in the backfield like he did this past season. You can put him in two back sets, three back sets. Um, he can play in a slap with his size, and he can move outside. He can play boundary every now and then. He has decent enough releases. While I don't think he's the best route runner, he can get open on the outside. So, I would not. I think that bringing Curtis Samuel in would definitely make your offense very, very dynamic. And then, um, the last piece of news that I did want to go over today is that Gil Brandt, a long time, long time NFL writer. He's been in the NFL for over, what, 50 years. Um, he, he said that he actually sees a scenario where Will Fuller from the Houston Texans can actually be brought in um, to Washington. And I actually made this um, prediction earlier in the season, like during the regular season, even before Will Fuller got suspended for his ACH suspension. Um, but Will Fuller, you know, he was showing a lot of capabilities being his first year as the number one receiver. He was scoring touchdowns week in and week out. I think he had like a six touchdown, um, six touchdown game streak. Um, this past season and he's somebody he may be even faster than Curtis Samuel even coming off you know the multitude of injuries that he had he's somebody that I think ran what 4-3-2-4-3-1 at the combine so he's even somebody that opens it up while he doesn't do it as many dynamic ways as Curtis Samuel you know out the backfield off reverse off pitches off sweeps and things like that he is a deep ball threat and my boy Steve I'm sorry I gotta bring you up against Steve um, but my boy Steve made a good point when I was replying to Brant's article um, last night because um, it, it kind of baffled me that I haven't really, you know, Washington, Washington is looking for receiver help and that I've never really, you know, heard anybody other than myself connect Will Fuller's name to the Washington football team. And Steve said, you know, a lot of Will Fuller's success is predicated off the deep ball and nobody on the washer, washer, roster right now really excels at the deep ball. That's not their strength. So that would, would bringing in Will Fuller be a waste of a signing? And like I told Steve last night. Me, with me bringing in Will Fuller, because Steve was absolutely right. Good, great job, Steve, and that's a great analysis. But like I told you last night, or like I told Steve last night, I think that my thinking aligns with Gil Brandt is that um, the quarterback 
that's going to be starting for Washington in 2021 isn't on the roster right now. So I think that we can still potentially bring in somebody who has those deep ball traits, like a Trey Lance. I'm going to keep banging down that Trey Lance door, guys. I, I love Trey Lance. I've I, I, I fallen in love with Trey Lance over the draft process. So like I said, bringing in somebody like him, even like the, the author wall names we heard, like Derek Carr throws a pretty good deep ball. Justin Fields, while his deep ball isn't the greatest, he can get it there. He can get it there. And with work and with practice and with an NFL coaching staff, you know, he can work on his accuracy, but he has the arm shift to get the ball there. So, like I said, um, that's a great point, Steve, of, um, of bringing up how a lot of Fuller's success is predicated off the deep ball. But can you imagine, you know, him and Terry working the outsides? And I think that Terry is a better, even though he has 4-3 speed as well, I think Terry is a better intermediate route runner than he is a deep route runner. I think Terry still has sometimes trouble stacking receivers. And Will Fuller has shown a knack to do that, even with his slender frame. Um, even, you know, getting open. She, uh, and, and like I said, Will Fuller is coming off of, a HGA suspension. He'll be missing the first game next year. So with these factors, along with his injury factors that he sustained a lot over his rookie contract, he may be bought in as you know a slight bargain deal. Because like I did, like I said earlier, he did show some traits as a number one receiver this year. It was his first year without DeAndre Hopkins that woke a lot of people up. They're like, whoa, Will Phil is actually a, more than just a track star or speed demon. He's a pretty good football player. Um, so yeah, that's just it um, for the news and the notes. Um, for February, hopefully we'll hear some more um, news and notes leading up into the NFL free agency that's set to start in March, leading up to the NFL draft that's set to start at the end of April. So like I told you guys at the beginning of the episode, we're going to be pushing out a lot of content, a lot of draft content, a lot of free agency content. We're going to be looking at a lot of prospects who can potentially fit the Washington football team, and we'll be breaking down a lot of content. We'll be giving you everything. So like I say every week, can you guys please, please, please follow me on my Twitter and my Instagram pages. I will be dropping those tags on this YouTube video. And I will be giving you those for the people that's just listening on podcasts only now. My Twitter is at BleedingBNG. The spelling is B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. So it's only one G in the Twitter spelling. And then on my Instagram, the spelling is at B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. So it's the regular way you spell bleeding, B-N-G. So that'll have two Gs. And if you guys can, my YouTube fam, if you guys can, I would appreciate you guys subscribe so you guys can get these notifications first, so you guys can get all this insight first, and you guys can have conversations with everybody else in the Washington football team. And you can really sound like you know what you're talking about because you listen to Jalen on the Bleeding B&G podcast. So like I said, thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the feedback I've been getting. A, a lot of you guys give me a lot of feedback about episode four, especially um, on my social media pages. A lot of guys, a lot of people leaving me instagram dms like keep going man i love the moves that you said so i appreciate it and i see them and they don't go unnoticed so like i said thank you guys for tuning in to episode five please be on the lookout for episode six draft coverage and many more on the way thank you